Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, weighing in at a little more than a bucket of nails and a little less than a shopping cart full of bowling balls, hailing from parts unknown USA, the people's champ, ladies and gentlemen, the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Happy American Craft Beer Week, everybody. Today we are drinking Pirate Bomb by the geniuses over at Prairie Artisan Ales in beautiful Tulsa, Oklahoma. Garage grade four and three quarter bottle caps out of five. Get out your snifter glasses and try this Imperial Stout. They basically take their already awesome Prairie Bomb beer and age it in rum cast to create Pirate Bomb. And the outcome is delicious. You get hints of vanilla and coconut flavors, and it is very full-bodied and a very smooth beer. And this brew is brought to us by... First up in Livermore, California, we have Lynn. Also in Cali, out in Napa, we have Terry. And in Bay Harbor, Florida, we have Allison. All right, Elvis. All the way out in Seoul, South Korea, we say hello and thanks to Sarah. And in our favorite stop, Parts Unknown, we have Marilyn, Vanessa, Jenny, and Jason. And a little announcement for Parts Unknown. If you're going to drop your grandparents off at the bingo hall, please pick them up once they get drunk. Thank you, and have a nice day. We also want to give a shout-out to Sharon in Pittsburgh, PA, who says, Keep on rocking, boys. And the Cheesehead State in Racine, Wisconsin, we have Kim. Cheers to you, mate. And last but not least, a big thank you to Stephen in Ontario, Canada. And we like Yoji. We want to thank everybody for helping us out this week. And if you want to buy us around for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on that donate button. And you probably want to get this done before you get a swift kick to the grundle. All right, that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the case of the missing Welch girls. Laura Bible is described as five foot five inches tall, 130 pounds, with brown hair and hazel eyes. Ashley Freeman is five foot seven inches tall, 145 pounds, with dark blonde hair and blue eyes. She has a scar on the upper left side of her forehead. Both are Caucasian females and were 16 years old at the time of their disappearance. They have been missing since December 30th, 1999 from Welch, Oklahoma. 
They are both classified as endangered missing. This is True Crime Garage. And this is the case of the missing Welch girls. The Freeman family lived in a trailer home outside of Welch, Oklahoma, and the family consisted of parents Danny and Kathy Freeman and their 16-year-old daughter, Ashley. On December 29, 1999, the family was celebrating Ashley's 16th birthday. Yeah, and like a typical thing, she's going to have her best friend spend the night, and her best friend is Laura Bible. Yes, they are both 16 years old by this point. They are lifelong friends. Both were very good students. Ashley was a basketball player, Laura was a cheerleader, and both of them were very well liked. So Ashley and Laura went with Kathy Freeman, who took the two girls out to dinner. Some have stated that they went to a pizza hut, others said that it was Big Bill's barbecue, but regardless, they go out to dinner that evening. They also picked up feed for the Freeman's livestock and water from Kathy's mom's house. After dinner, they went to their local Walmart store. There, Ashley met her boyfriend, Jeremy Hurst. Jeremy gave Ashley a silver chain with a heart-shaped pendant that also contained her birthstone. This was her birthday gift. And then after the Walmart, Kathy, Ashley, and Laura all went back to the Freeman's home, and Jeremy joined them as well. Laura already spent the night the night before at the Freeman's house, but since it's getting dark, they're going to stop by her family's house to see if it's okay if she spends the night again. Yeah, it was it was going to be for one night, turns into two nights, because Laura's parents do not let her drive after dark. She's already driving by this time. Her car is parked at the Freeman house. Now, they drop by just to make sure to be okay, because it's well after dark by this point. And we can assume that they're on winter break mm-hmm. at, the, at this point. Now, back at the Freeman home, Jeremy Hurst, the boyfriend, he says that while he was there, he didn't think anything was abnormal. He didn't see anything out of place. Uh, He says that he left the Freeman home around 9.30 p.m. But Danny, the father, he had some relatives there at the Freeman home. And one of the relatives said that Jeremy left closer to 10.30 p.m., so about an hour later than Jeremy remembers. Yeah, but as we know with eyewitness accounts, they can be off by a little bit. Both of the girls the next day had things that they had to do. Ashley was going to take her driver's test, and Laura had scheduled a dentist appointment for the following morning. Well, the following morning around 5.30 a.m., a passing motorist reported a fire in the vicinity of the Freeman's trailer. Mm -hmm. When fire and police first responders first showed up to to find the trailer ablaze, they put out the fire and inside on the bed, they found the body of a female. They would learn that this is the body of Kathy Freeman, and they learned that she was not killed by the fire. She had been shot in the head before the fire. So now we have a dead mother. And we have a missing father, mm-hmm. and we have the, the missing two teenagers, yes, Laura and Ashley. The sheriff's department, they're going to start investigating, and they have a theory. They immediately have a theory, and their theory is that Danny Freeman probably lost it, and he shot his wife, he set the trailer on fire, and he took off with both of the 16-year-old girls. No, he, he was known to have a temper. And he had a few run-ins with the sheriff's department, we'll get to that in a minute. The next day, Laura's parents, Jay and Laureen Bible, they are at the scene of the fire and the murder, and they are looking amongst the rubble for clues regarding the girl's whereabouts. Mm -hmm. They see the Freeman family dog. This is a Rottweiler, uh, so a very big dog. And the dog is kind of laying on a collapsed portion of the trailer. And around the dog, or as some have suggested, underneath of the dog, Jay spots something, and it's clear to Jay that he is looking at the dead body of a man, the body of Danny Freeman. Always been super fascinating to me how in tune with the world and surroundings dogs are. Well, the the crazy thing here is that Laura Bible's parents, they could tell that Danny did not die as a result of the fire either, because as they described it in quote, He did not have anything from the upper teeth all the way to the top of his head. That portion of the face was totally gone. Jesus. Now, the first question. So, gunshot blast. To the the face, yes. And Mm -hmm. the first question that we have to ask ourselves is, how did the police 
and the firefighters miss the body of Danny, you know, and mm-hmm. does this make you think that they could have overlooked the bodies of the two 16 year old girls as well? Well, and then obviously that the public has access to this crime scene. Yeah. We have a situation where the Bibles were up there looking for clues about their daughters and her friend. And the thing is here, the once they call and report that they found the body of Danny, they get a little pushback from law enforcement stating that, you know, we've been over that crime scene and mm-hmm. you must be mistaken. Well, what took place, I guess, is that, you know, yeah, we're mistaken. We just saw a guy with his face blown off. They, they showed up and they put out the fire and this probably took a good deal of time. But after that, once they're looking amongst the, the rubble and the debris, they mm-hmm. find the body of, of Kathy. They fail to find Danny's body, but they leave the crime scene around 5.30 to 6 p.m. that night. Now, keep in mind, it's the winter months, so it's getting dark about that same time. Right. There was a good chance that they may not have found it. Uh, Just due to time. By correct. The, right. So by the time they get the fire out, you know, the sun is setting and they find the one body, but let's, so let's not, you know, jump down law enforcement's throats too quick. Maybe it's like, well, now it's dark. We're just going to stop. We'll start again in the morning. Exactly. But I don't think they planned on starting again in the morning because they released the crime scene. They, they, they leave the area. Well, that's, that's an error. That's irresponsible. Yeah. Now the, now the Bibles are up there looking for stuff. They find Danny. But and we're also talking about a very, very small community. Extremely remote area as well. It's I mean, like I six, it's, 600 people live there. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just say under a thousand. We know for sure under a thousand. Mm-hmm. So the Bibles are up there looking. And now once they get pushback from law enforcement, uh, law enforcement wants to take the crime scene back. However, by this point, the Bibles are up there with a bunch of their friends and family that are assisting them looking through the debris. Right. And they're actually lifting up heavy objects, you know, refrigerators, beds. Uh, they're looking for anywhere that these girls might have hid and maybe passed away in the fire. Oh, hold up a second. That's definitely not what they're thinking. They're thinking if they died in that house, it's not from a fire. They were murdered, just like the other two victims. Well, and they're also freaking out because all of the cars are still there in front of the Freeman home. Right. And we're talking about a big stretch of land too you know so there's a lot of area and ground to cover when you're when you're conducting this search but one thing that i found interesting was that the bibles had said to law enforcement you know all of the cars are still here have you checked the vehicles they claim that that law enforcement tells them no we we didn't we haven't checked the vehicles yet and of course you know the bibles and and their family members and friends are there wondering what kind of search is this? You missed Danny the first day. Right. And then you've not even thought to check the vehicles. Could these girls be in the vehicles? Could they be in the trunk of one of these cars? Well, I mean, again, let's not jump down law enforcement too much. Sorry. Because you're you're there with your friends and family touching all the debris. Mm. That's a crime scene. There's two murdered victims, and you just contaminated that. So good luck, you know, if you do find somebody responsible, good luck having enough evidence to convict them. Well, let's talk about Danny's run-in with the law real quick, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And to do this, we're going to have to introduce Shane Freeman. Shane was was Ashley's older brother. Mm -hmm. Ceased now. Yeah, and we'll have to go back in time a little to tell this story. Um, In 1998, Shane was experiencing behavioral problems. The family was ordered to participate in a counseling program This was after Shane stole his uncle's pickup truck. Mm -hmm. Now, I do want to be kind of clear here because I've heard this story a few different ways. Unless Shane was out stealing multiple vehicles, um, I've heard it reported that he had stolen the uncle's truck or he had taken the grandparents' vehicle. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the one one in the same. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he took this vehicle. That's what teenagers like to say borrowing yeah and now there's there's another story that has a few different uh, perspectives let's say on it um regarding this vehicle being stolen danny calls it in and he reports his son shane as missing at the same time that the vehicle is reported as stolen mm-hmm. now shane is picked up for this now during this situation the shane has been abused okay it's obvious to the deputy that, that arrest him that, that Shane has been abused. Physically abused, like yes. beat up. 
That's one way that the story goes. The other way that the story goes was that Shane was at school and a school counselor or a coach had noticed that his his buttocks area mm-hmm. was was bleeding and he was extremely bruised up uh, to the point where it wasn't just you know well that's it wasn't just mom or dad with a little discipline to to straighten Shane out it was it looked like an obvious beating type situation and like we said before the father Danny was known to have a temper so maybe his parenting was getting a little out of control yeah and this was not the only situation where we saw his temp- temper flare up um back in 1985 well hold on hold on we're assuming it was Danny that was disciplining him too hard or maybe just being a drunk and beating his child. Well, we're, what are we assuming here? We're assuming that it was Danny because he would be charged with, with child abuse okay. in this situation. And what, what law enforcement would contend that, that this was excessive force that Danny had used, where Danny is saying, no, you're, you're taking a family situation and you're blowing it way out of proportion. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this is not the first time that his temper has got him into trouble because back in 1985, he got, Danny got in trouble for beating up his father-in-law. They had mm-hmm. some kind of what sounds almost like a minor disagreement gets, you know, gets crazy and out of hand. And Danny ends up getting charged with that. And that's the evidence of Danny having a temper problem. Yeah. And after Danny is charged with abusing his son in 1998, Shane does not want to return to his parents' home. He ends up staying briefly with the with Ashley's family, with the Bible family. Mm-hmm. And in early January 1999, the Bible family filed a complaint with authorities stating that Shane took some of Laura's belongings and her money and that he also stole several of the Bible's firearms. Well, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. Come to our house. Steal our stuff. Yeah, he takes he takes some of Laura's money. He takes the firearms. Now the police are looking for Shane. And he ends up taking another vehicle. This is somebody in the Freeman family. And while he's out on the run, well, he this is very strange. When he takes the other car. Mm-hmm. He does again. He doesn't steal somebody else's car. He he takes one of his own family members' cars. Correct. And while the while the law enforcement are looking for him, he he tries to pull over a female driver, and the the female does not believe that this person is a sheriff or a police officer. Um, you know, he's he's 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, he probably doesn't look anything like law enforcement. And she calls 911 and she reports the situation stating that, you know, there's this guy saying he's, he's law enforcement Mm -hmm. trying to pull me over. I'm not going to pull over. I'm going to drive somewhere where I feel safe before I pull over. So, well, interesting too, because cell phones aren't really super popular in 99 and police are already looking for this guy. Mm -hmm. So what ends up happening is the, the vehicle that he has taken, it, it eventually breaks down and law enforcement locate him on the side of a road. When they encounter him, they, you know, they're, they're doing the traditional things, but keep in mind, Shane's got firearms with him by this point. Right. And they know he does. Yeah. And the report is stolen. He had told some people, you know, friends and whatnot that he was suicidal and that he was thinking about doing suicide by cop. Well, mm. in this situation, suicide by cop. Yes. Mm. And in this situation, he ends up reaching for the gun. There's two different stories here. One story is that he pulled the gun on the officer. The other story is that he was reaching for the gun. What ends up happening is that the officer shoots Shane and he kills him. And what will be disputed though, is what was the interaction between the officer and Shane. This is Oklahoma law enforcement officer, David Hayes. He shot and killed Shane on January 8th, 1999. Now the incident was investigated and Hayes's actions were found to be justified. David Haynes acted in Mm self-defense. The Freemans believed that Shane was attempting to run away from Hayes at the time of his death. Several of their family members believed that the autopsy results proved that Shane was killed as he, he his back was turned to the officer. Right. So the bullet 
entry would have been in Shane's back. We can't say that for certain. What we can say is that the family members believed that his back was turned, Mm -hmm. that the incident was investigated, and it was ruled to be a justified shooting. Now, this is what's going to bring on this whole kind of thing that's going on between Danny Freeman and law enforcement Mm -hmm. because he believes that his son was murdered by the police. Now, Danny reportedly inquired about the location of David Hayes' residence. This was one month after his son was killed. Investigators apparently believed that Danny was planning some kind of revenge uh, against Shane's death. The Freemans claim that several officers' vehicles were parked in front of their trailer after, after he had inquired about their residence. The way that I've heard that this has gone down was that, that Danny would go and he would park his vehicle in front of the officer's home. Mm-hmm. And he would kind of follow around his family members from time to time. And this is, mind you, like we said, this is a small town. There's not a lot of people there. Right. These things don't go unnoticed. And so what ends up happening is we have a situation where it looks like Danny might be harassing law enforcement or their families. And then the Freemans believe that in turn, law enforcement starts harassing them by parking their vehicles in front of the Freeman home. Well, and, right. And by, and, go and ahead. Obviously that law enforcement has, they have to protect themselves and they have to protect their family. On the flip side of things though, Danny just lost his son. And even if it was based off his own actions that he, you know, wanted to have suicide by a cop or, or, you know, he was, I'm going to pull out a gun and they're going to shoot me. Or maybe he's just going to pull out the gun to shoot at the officer. He, he lost his son, you know, and, and so that grief is a lot to deal with. I mean, you shouldn't go around harassing people, but it's like, I, I kind of feel for him on that, on that angle. Now, law enforcement, they start following Danny basically everywhere he's going, maybe looking for any reason to pull him over or give him a citation or arrest him for something. Uh, But he believes that he's being harassed by this point to the point where he informs his brother as well as other family members, stating that if anything ever would were to happen to me, Mm -hmm. um, you know, look at the sheriff department. They're they're the ones that, that are harassing me. And, you know, he also gave a statement that he said to the fact that when he was uh, in some kind of verbal altercation with law enforcement, that they had told him that they could do whatever they wanted to him and Danny's family. There was nothing that they could do to stop them. Right. Well, and- but this is secondhand. You know, we don't know that this this interaction actually took place or those exact words were said. Well, we've all been pulled over by, you know, some jack wagon officer, right? That's just running their mouth, you know, over nothing. So whether or not a police officer was in an altercation, you know, a verbal altercation with Danny and he's saying, hey, we'll do whatever we want. We are the law. Yeah, I am the law. Whatever it is, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are responsible for these deaths. Well, we have this situation, though, here, Captain, where two months after the death of Shane, now Danny Freeman, he's got to go on trial for the child abuse charges. And this takes place in March of 1999. The jury ended up, they deadlocked on this situation because they asked the judge, if they could order Danny to attend counseling rather than to send him to jail or to prison. Right. Uh, the judge says, no, you can't do that. This is, this is the sentence. He's, he's either guilty and he's going to face these charges and get sentenced in this way, or he's not guilty. And I think this is a tough thing for the jury to, to make a call on here because we got a, we got a case where we don't have the number one witness the, 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 the kid that was was mm-hmm. supposedly abused. Um, we don't have him there to testify as to what took place in that situation. And now you have to question a parent's, you know, where's the line when you discipline your child? Um, so what they end up stating is that they he's acquitted of these charges because they wanted to send him to counseling, mm-hmm. but the judge would not allow it. After the death of Kathy Freeman, her father and mother they were telling people that, you know, Danny, not only did he have this bad temper, but he was also abusive to his wife and to both of his children. 
Um, so this leads us to some of the early theories in this case. One of those theories being that after years of physical abuse, Ashley, with the help of her friend, they shoot the parents with one of the parents' own guns, with their guns, and they flee the area. The next theory is very similar to that, but that the two girls left town with two men or boys that, that may have assisted them in the attack on Ashley's parents. The third theory that we should discuss here is the police killed Danny and then his family and set the fire to destroy evidence. Theory number four is that law enforcement wasn't involved and Danny was targeted due to drug activity. Theory number five is that the girls were the actual target, that the motivation for the attack was abduction, and that the parents were killed and the fire was set just to simply hide evidence. And the final theory is that someone that knew the family had killed and abducted the girls. The, this would be any example that you can imagine, but you could also consider possibly the boyfriend, Jeremy Hurst, who was there that night, as well as relatives of Danny's that were at the trailer that night. Mm -hmm. So those are the, the six theories that they're working off of early into this investigation. I think we kind of need to look at this evidence to point us in the right direction and what theory makes the most sense. Let's get into that right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL Learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, 
Thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, mates. Make sure you support our sponsors because they support us. All right, let's get to this evidence. Yes, so we both we know that both Danny and Kathy had died of a result of gunshot wounds. Mm-hmm. The medical examiner determined that Danny's right collarbone had been fractured prior to the fatal shot. The coroner also determined that Kathy died approximately 5 a.m. that morning. And of course, investigators believe that the fire was intentionally set in an attempt to destroy evidence of the crimes. Now, regarding the family itself, regarding the Freeman family in their home, Lorraine Bible told reporters that Ashley Freeman had been saving her money to purchase her first vehicle when she turned 16 in December of 1999. Lorraine said that she believed that Ashley had accumulated $1,200 in her savings account. Now, Jeremy Hurst, the boyfriend, Mm -hmm. said that Ashley actually didn't have a savings account. Um, But Ashley had told him that she had saved between $3,000 and $4,000 for her first vehicle. She was employed part-time at Roscoe's, which is a convenience store in Welch. Uh, Jeremy went on to say that, that you know she didn't have a bank account, and she kept her money sealed in Tupperware, in a Tupperware container, in the family's freezer. Authorities were unable to locate any evidence of the cash after the fire. Lorraine stated that Ashley and Danny had been arguing earlier in the month regarding the vehicle. You know, she wanted to purchase a certain vehicle. He had a different one in mind and they were not agreeing. We've all kind of been there. You know, the teenager has earned their own money. They want to make their own decisions with their money. And, you know, dad is disagreeing with her. Well, some of that could just be telling a tall tale Mm -hmm. as well. You know, like, well... First of all, you're telling your friend's parents, well, I got a savings account. Well, where's the evidence of that? You know, now that they're missing. And then on top of that, you're telling the boyfriend, well, you got, you got three to four grand, which where's the evidence that you had any money? Mm. Um, the, the other thing here too, which, 
I want to kind of talk about this for a little bit because because it's very unclear. Now, the authorities at some point disclosed that there were rumors that Ashley had been sexually abused, but they were unable to confirm these rumors. By, well, that's why I wanted the father. That's why I wanted to talk about this mm-hmm. because it nowhere does it claim to state by who. You know, could it have been? Could it have been her father, her her brother? Could it have been a family friend or or you know somebody at the school? Right. Um, when you say sexually abused, you know your 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 imagination wonders immediately who could it be. But we don't have anybody to point the finger at. The other thing I, I kind of thought about here in this situation was we have, you have a whole, you know, this town of 600 people and a day goes by where the town, the people of the town, they're under the belief that the father killed the mother, abducted his daughter and her friend. Mm-hmm. Well, is that long enough? That's got to be long enough for the, the people in the town to start, you know, talking about these rumors. Well, if he abducted those two girls, he must have been sexually abusing her. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I wonder if, I think it's a little irresponsible of law enforcement to say that there were rumors of this, um, right. but we're unable to confirm these rumors. Again, a very small community. So not probably the best or most, uh, advanced law enforcement unit in the, in the world here. And that's causes a lot of problems. Cause one, you leave the crime scene without knowing how many victims are there. Mm-hmm. And then, then you don't close off that crime scene and you allow people to come in there and contaminate it. And then on top of that, now we got this third thing where you, you're creating rumors. Right. And, and you're, you're fueling the fire really is what you're doing. And, and you know, but you're creative, you're creating a motive. And what I'm saying is that the birth of those rumors could very well be that, because they didn't discover Danny's body until the following day. Well, and right, but that's if those rumors are established then or if they're established after. Because if you establish that, uh, well, there's rumors that she was uh, sexually abused, you're creating a motive on why the girls would want to kill the parents. Mm-hmm. And I feel like whoever's establishing, look, I've said it before, there's been several cases that we covered. And oddly, people will establish alibis. They're creating their own alibi. And when somebody starts creating their own alibi, that to me, that's a a sign of guilt, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's odd that on the other side of the spectrum, when people are creating a narrative for motive for you to look at some other individual. Right. And to me, that's a a shade of guilt. So you're what? To be clear, what you're saying is that the the sheriff's department, by stating that there's there are rumors of her being sexually abused, that that's almost creating an alibi for the sheriff's department because you're presenting a whole different theory that does not involve the sheriffs having committed any crimes. Correct. Okay. And, and first of all, it's just very irresponsible that you're stating, well, there's rumors. You don't state rumors. You're the law enforcement. Mm-hmm. State facts, state evidence. I wish we knew exactly how this went down, and I'll tell you why. Because it, could it be something as simple as as the sheriff's top departments being interviewed? They're asked by a reporter, "Hey, there are there have been rumors that Ashley was sexually abused," right. and the sheriff simply says, "We have heard those rumors." Right, and that well, changes the whole. Then you have somebody later going on the record stating that the sheriff's department says that there were rumors of her being sexually abused when really they're just acknowledging that they have heard those rumors. I I see what you're saying with them establishing an alibi. I don't know that it's that for me because for me, it, it, for me, it seems like there was opportunity. If that kind of stuff was going down um, with how close Ashley was with Laura, they spoke on the phone all of the time. And it seems to me like Laureen, uh, Laura's mom mm-hmm. seemed to know a lot of what was going on in the Freeman household. Well, she knew what she was told. Mm-hmm. And there was also that, that mandatory counseling that took place as well re- regarding um, the situation with Shane. So what I'm getting at is I think there was opportunity for that to come out where I, I feel like these are rumors that were just kind of created by the townspeople during that time period that they felt that, that she was abducted by her father. And we know how these rumors go. 
right? It's it's like the the never ending game of telephone. Now you got six hundred people involved. Where if I say, you know what? I bet you he was sexually abusing her, and that's why he took her and abducted her. And then twenty four hours later, we find out he's dead. Poor, poor Danny, he died too. Right. You know, he was murdered and he was killed too. We know that's not true, but that doesn't immediately put out the fire on those rumors. Well, okay, so answer me these couple questions. One, how does how did his collarbone get broken? Right. Like, right. do we know? I mean, is that reported? Uh, th- th- this case is difficult to cover because there wasn't. It's such a small town and such a small community that there's just not a lot of you know information as far as it goes on the internet. So the but, way, but how, but. Because there's multiple ways that that could have been broken. I mean, it could have been that collarbone could have been broken. It's not too difficult to break a collarbone. No, it could be broke by a fist. It could be a butt of a shotgun. Um, and then what? What is the evidence that points of what kind of guns were they killed with? Right. Well, the, they've not. The law enforcement has not disclosed what kind of gun they were shot with. Of course, they, they've they've held that back as well as. They have admitted that there was an accelerant used to start the fire. This wasn't an accidental fire that happened after the fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know that an accelerant was used, but they've also not stated what what in fact that was. Now, the thing here is if you were to be considering that the girls did it uh, or were involved in it, you know, we have, okay, we have a situation where the Freemans, they had a lot of firearms in that home. They could have, in, under that situation or scenario, they could have been killed with one of their own firearms. Well, and the, the other problem there is they're avid hunters, and the gun laws were different also back then. So how many guns were in the house that were, weren't were registered? I mean, there'd be no way of knowing. Because no. the, the two people that would know, they're dead. Yeah. So if there's a shotgun missing, we wouldn't know. So if you have, if you get the ballistics, right? If you, if you're trying to test to, to confirm if they were killed with one of their own firearms, you wouldn't be able, if that firearm was not found in that home, you couldn't confirm that one of their own firearms were used because you would assume that if you didn't find it, that it was either taken from the scene or that the perpetrators brought their own firearms with them. Let's talk about the the Freeman the house real quick, okay? So the Freeman's trailer, it did not have running water. Um, it was primarily mm-hmm. heated by a wood-burning stove that was located in the living room. Um, the family, as you had said, was described as avid hunters, uh, an outdoor enthusiast who enjoyed living in a remote location. This was a very remote location. The trailer was equipped with a telephone and electricity, uh, there were numerous firearms stockpiled inside the home and Ashley assisted with hunting food. The family would go out and sometimes hunt their own food, food. Mm-hmm. Danny enjoyed walking outside on their property behind the mobile home. Uh, he was a collector of arrowheads um, and his relatives stated that he had an extensive collection of items that he had found that were rumored to be valuable. Here's another one of these rumors, right. but we don't, you don't, well, ha- that's causing a motive of the idea that somebody came in to break into the house to steal valuables and they killed two people in the process and possibly stealing the cash that, uh, young Ashley was keeping in the freezer, which I would argue that it, that is more likely to happen. If you live in a remote area, I know that's going to sound maybe a little strange to some people, but <laughs> I'm serious. It's like when, especially if you, I've lived, you know, my no, house. You're exactly right. You are exactly. Go ahead. Sorry, but it, you know, my house was out of the city a little bit, and if somebody's coming onto my property to steal something, it could end up very bad for for me or them. Mm-hmm. So that that's all I'm saying is if you, and you also, it's such a small town that you'd go well. They're an avid avid hunter. If I'm going to rob this person, we know how this is going down. This is this is this is robbery by force. Mm-hmm. And again, but then that also goes with the creating the motive because if he has drug activity, then maybe it's like, well, uh, you know, he has a bunch of guns. Maybe he has some drugs there. Maybe he has some drug money there. You know. Yeah, and we should talk about this drug activity because there's there's several. Yeah, so it's not just rumor. Right. There's a, there's a lot of different stories about what drug activity could have been going on 
in in the area. So it's believed that Danny was himself a drug user. Um, that what? But there's different kinds of drugs. Yeah, and it's believed it's it's pretty widely believed that he grew marijuana somewhere on that property for his own personal use. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's what's widely believed. There are some other things that come into play here, though. There are some people that state that he was he was selling marijuana, right? That he was in cahoots with somebody else, and they had a little drug operation where they were both moving and potentially growing marijuana. Um, there was one report that stated that inside the trailer, and I want to be very clear about this, one single report out of all the little reports out there, there's one single report that says that they found evidence of drug manufacturing, which mm-hmm. to me, it, it, using those words is completely different than growing marijuana. Unless, unless, <laughs> unless you're claiming that mother nature is your manufacturer right, of right. marijuana. So what that well, sounds like to me is that they must have found some kind of drug equipment, you know, some kind of creating these drugs equipment. Now, I don't think that he was running any kind of meth operation because why not? we've seen, well, because this is just my belief. I have no evidence of such, but we have seen where, where certain people will use certain terminology and mm-hmm. certain words. And then when you dig down deep and you find out exactly what they're talking about, well, they've kind of, they've kind of stretched it a bit, right? They've kind of embellished a little bit where evidence of drug manufacturing could be something as simple as that they found a small digital scale somewhere in the trailer that might not have had anything to do with drugs at all. But, but right, I get, I get your point. You see but, where I'm going with this. If yeah. you, if you find a digital scale and you find a stack of baggies, Right. That doesn't necessarily mean that, well, that I'm manufacturing used, drugs. Well, right, but they could be used for pot as well. I look, mm-hmm. if you're growing your own pot to smoke it, I, I got nothing against you. And if you have a little extra and you're selling a, a baggie here or there to your buddy, that's not, to me, that's, that's not, you're not a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of helping out your buddies. That's not like drug operation. But one report, now, Let's go. Let's go. Let's let's dive into this a little bit because it's 1999. This is not a wide, uh, you know, it's not this epidemic like it is now. You know, heroin and crystal meth and all that stuff right. in these rural areas. Now it's killing the it's killing the country. So, so maybe there's only one report because a lot of that crystal meth stuff is kind of household items, and you might not really know. What it was. That's true. Yep. Also, accelerant. Well, this stuff is very flammable. Mm-hmm. So, was that what was used for the accelerant? It's almost like because of the lack of evidence, or the lack of them collecting the evidence, or the lack of them presenting the evidence to the public, it just becomes more question after more question, and we can speculate on that all day. But I. But to me. Uh, a family that's not doing so well financially wants to move out to the country, which is nothing wrong with that. But maybe the, the father was also using this as an opportunity to make ends meet. Yeah. Like we're going to move out onto some land on into this trailer. But because we're doing that, I'm going to have some job opportunities and that's going to be drug activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Kathy was the breadwinner. Um, she had a good job. Um, Danny, from my understanding, was kind of, was often unemployed, right. uh, usually between jobs. And like you said, maybe uh, maybe selling a little dope here or there was was a way to make up for that. Well, <laughs> this is what I find. Okay, first, you're the breadwinner. You're the mom. This guy has a shitty temper, you know, and we know that he's abusive to to your son. So chances are he's abusive to you. Just leave. You know what I mean? To find somebody else, some and I understand you're you're in a town of six hundred people, but a move to another town. Yeah, they were originally from the neighboring town, which had like over six thousand people in it. Um, I believe they moved there just a few years before this whole incident went down. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. It seems like a but again, there's different dynamics to every family, every relationship. But it from the outside looking in. It definitely seems like the Freeman family was odd 
and dysfunctional. Well, I'm just saying that she could love a winner with money as much as she can this loser with nothing. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so let's, you know, before we move on from the evidence and start seeing how that might apply to these different theories and maybe kind of ruling some of them out as we go. Uh, one more thing regarding the evidence, though. The police did state that, remember we said that the, the Freemans had telephone service to the trailer. Mm-hmm. They did state that there were no outgoing phone calls from the Freemans trailer late that night or during the early morning before the fire was set. And there's no report by anybody that we know of that they had a cell phone of any kind. Correct. Correct. And the thing here is, too, um, you know, we stated that all of the vehicles were out front uh, that were located on the property. None of the vehicles were missing. But regarding Mm -hmm. Laura's car that was still there, uh, the keys were found in the ignition. This is probably probably just means that she never took them out of the car. Um, the, the house was quite a bit of a ways off of the road. There might not be any need to do so, mm-hmm. but she did have a purse and she had approximately $200 in that purse. The purse was located inside the trailer after this incident took place. So where you have money that, that is rumored to have been in the freezer, a, a substantial amount of money, depending on mm-hmm. who you talk to between 1200 and $4,000 where that is not found. Um, we also have a situation where there's money found in a, in a purse, uh, $200 that could have been taken that was left behind. Yeah. But here's my issue with that is law enforcement. And a lot of people looking into this case like to say, well, there's $200 left in a purse. So there, that proves that proves right there that this wasn't a robbery. Well, that doesn't prove crap. That just proves it wasn't a robbery for just money or you know, random belongings. This could have been a robbery just for drugs or just for drug money. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't really prove anything just because there was money left somewhere. That's all I'm putting out there. It's just time and time again, when you see this stuff about this case, well, there's $200 left over. So therefore that definitely wasn't a robbery. I don't think anybody's saying that because because everyone's saying that there's Everybody, that's what is reported all the time. It's re, every almost every video that you ever see made on this thing is like, well, there's two hundred dollars left, so chances are it wasn't a robbery. It just wasn't a good robbery. Maybe they made off with right. the twelve hundred or four thousand dollars that was in the freezer and thought, well, this is all the money they got. I'm peace. I'm out of here. Right. Or like I said, I mean, if he had some drug activity. Then that's why that's why people would be there, you know, for his drugs and for his drug money. Mm-hmm. So, do, you, do should we go back through these theories? That we, well, that we, no, no. I think let's stay on this two hundred dollars right now, right? Okay. I think that two hundred dollars to me means uh, it, it starts ruling out the idea for me that the girls would be involved. Right, and that's why I asked if you want to go back through the theories, because theory number one is that after years of physical abuse, Ashley, with the help of Laura, that they shoot the parents and with one of the guns that they find in the home, and uh-huh. they together they flee the area to go off and live wonderful lives elsewhere away from this, uh, you know, and I'll say quote-unquote abusive father. Well, I think you can say abusive father just on the evidence of physical abuse. Not sexual abuse, but we can definitely say that there is enough evidence that shows that this guy... He abused pro- Shane. We're, we we have evidence of that. I don't know that we have evidence that he abused Ashley, is what I mean. Well, what I have, meant by that. We have all the speculation or all the, the accounts brought up by, um, you know, I her, think, her, her but, grandparents. But I think calling somebody an abuser of... It, it, it's a very powerful label to, to put on somebody. Mm. And and I see what you're getting at. Half of me agrees with you, but the other half of me, I'm talking well, about half of you is smart, and the other half is is and the smart kind of half, dumbass. the smart half of me is is stating that in this situation, we're talking about a situation where Shane no longer exists. Yeah, I understand. We're talking about a situation where we're going to say, did Ashley kill or participate in the murder of her own parents because she was being abused by her father? is a very powerful statement. And I don't think that speculation would, would point me in that direction strong enough for me to believe that I would want hardcore evidence that he was in fact abusing 
specifically Ashley. Okay, so what's your long-winded point? My long-winded point here is that I don't know why the smart half of me cannot fix the creak in this chair that I'm sitting on. Every time I move, it, so I apologize to everybody out there. If you're hearing weird noises, it's, it's, it's coming, me. It's, it's from coming my, from his ass. It's, <laughs> That's that's where the creak noise from is that from. area. So I didn't have a long winded point. I think you got me upset because we're calling him a specific a specific abuse. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but but regarding this theory. So, okay, so, this, so what do you think here? This first theory. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. It, it actually, doesn't add up. It doesn't. You're exactly right. Because and I think that's why we bring up the two hundred dollars in Laura's purse. It seems strange to me that Laura would leave behind her own money, right? Or, or her own purse. Correct. Um, even if you wanted to try to make it look like you were abducted, I don't know that kids, these are kids, right? I know they're 16 years old. I know they're good students. I know that they are smart young ladies. The mm-hmm. thing here is, though, I don't know that, that a kid would come up with this wild theory that, you know what, we can kill these two and we'll take off and maybe we'll get lucky and they'll think we were abducted. So leave behind your purse, you know, and furthermore, well, furthermore, none of the vehicles, none of the family's vehicles or Laura's vehicle was taken. So by that, mm -hmm. by that point alone, you can cross off theory one, in my opinion, because now you have to have outside help there has to be some form of trans transportation getting you out of the area. Well, look, the purse behind, not that big of a deal. Leave the purse behind. The cash is big. You need the cash. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, but I don't know. Was there cash in the freezer? I'm going to say not. Look, mm. we, we've all, I look, the other question I have too, which might seem a lot pretty silly to everybody, but, but how long was she dating her boyfriend? Uh, I don't know. And the only reason why I want to know is because sometimes in the initial stages, you kind of just, you know, over-exaggerate maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've had that happen before. I've been on a date where somebody's, you know, telling you what they do for a living, you know, and they kind of a little braggadocious about it. And and I think, and, the, and these are, you know, women in their 30s. Right. So what's a girl in there? Her six, you know, she's 16 years old. Oh, I'm going to get a car. Well, what kind of car are you going to get? Well, I'm going to get a nice one because, well, how do you got money for that? Well, I got a couple thousand saved up. I got some cold, hard cash in the freezer. Right. The thing here is, though, Captain. Okay. So I want to uh, kind of present something that I was thinking about the other day. What if I were to think that maybe Ashley killed her parents? Um, could could the tipping point or could the trigger moment, could that have been if she came home and discovered that all of her hard-earned money that she had saved and saved and saved for her very first car, that her father had taken it from the freezer and went off and did something with the money? Mm, yeah. Not, look, I, look, I see that. Uh, again, then you're going to drag, you're going to drag your friend into this. Mm-hmm. And it's we're going on how many years now? Well, it's been 16. sixteen years, yeah. So sixteen years you've been in hiding, and your friend hasn't came forward. No, and the other thing too is, it, I think if it was a based on the abuse, right? Mm-hmm. Then w- here's what would happen. Or this is my speculation. You're overcome with whatever an embarrassment or whatever you're feeling, rage that your father would be abusive towards you sexually or physically and you've had enough and and I'm not going to take it anymore and you snap and shoot your father. Mm-hmm. How does that go on to shooting your mother? Right. And then on top of that, then you have to light your house on fire? I mean, other than you're covering up one, well, right. one murder with another. Yeah, but I think for somebody that by all accounts you know, was a good kid, right. you know, had something to live for, was progressing in her own life. Didn't seem like she had many problems. You know, she's celebrating a happy time. You know, 16 is a, a, a great time. You know, you're going to get your freedom. You're going to get your independence, more independence. 16 is a good time. So uh, it's a snap. And then on top of that, then you have to have a friend going along with this. And she's going to drop everything that's going on in her life. And she's 16 and has a bunch to live for. So she can just help you out now. It's, you know, it doesn't seem too likely. 
Well, then, and then when you run away, you're going to forget the two two hundred dollars. Right. right, and I think that's what does it. For, all those things that you said, plus the the other fact that they didn't take a vehicle and they left the two hundred dollars. You just you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't leave behind a car. You wouldn't leave behind additional funds when you know you're planning on starting a whole new life elsewhere because you got to run from these murders you committed. Yeah. And just like the captain was stating, there is nothing in the background of either of these two young ladies. These were smart young ladies, honor students. They were good. They, you know, worked. Um, it sounded like. It sounds to me like Laura Bible's family life was probably much different than Ashley Freeman's family life. It does sound to me, though, that Ashley Freeman was very close with her mother. Uh Even if she hated her home life or hated her father, she only had two more years to go to be out of that house. And I, I just don't see anything in their background to point toward them having committed this and taken off. Yeah, because, you know we don't know what kind of gun they were shot with. The thing that points towards them is that half the dude's face was missing. Hmm. And to me, that would be a shotgun blast. To me, a shotgun or a rifle would be something. If she was going to use something, I would assume that she'd use something that she's more familiar with. Hmm. And I'm again, just also assuming that she'd be more familiar with a rifle based on hunting. Um, but but then you have to have the cojones. You got to be one bad hombre, and I to also shoot your father in the face with a with a rifle. And keep in mind his his collarbone was broken. This almost mm. points towards some kind of scuffle before he shot. Where yeah. I would think, you know, if you're this situation, if you're going to shoot your parents, you're going to walk into their bedroom in the middle of the night and shoot them in their sleep. You know, that that's typically how these things go down. It wouldn't lead to some kind of altercation. So I think you can scratch off the first theory that the two girls did it themselves and took off on their own. And that kind of helps us scratch off theory number two as well, because it's basically the same theory, but that they they had the assistance of one or two men or one or two boys Mm -hmm. that may have assisted in the attacks and that they left town with this person or persons. What's your gut feeling on the boyfriend? I mean, look, you know, he claims he left at 930. A lot of other people say, well, it's probably at 1030. I, Um, I, 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 that that doesn't bother me either way. You know, if you're off a little bit, we're not talking about a detail. There was people there afterwards, right? So to me, that little detail is not, you know, he's not being nefarious and trying to, you know, cover his, his ass, you know, but, uh, what's your gut feeling on this guy? So Jeremy Hurst, my gut feeling is I like him. Um, I don't oh, like him. I don't like him, as, him. I don't like him as a suspect. Well, okay, right. I, he, I don't even know if he's attractive or not, <laughs> but the thing here is captain. First of all, I, like you said, doesn't bother me that he's off approximately an hour on his time because the other dude that said he stayed later could be off on his time. Right. Um, what I think we have is a situation where he reports that he left their home at, at such and such time. He probably, he's a child, he's under 18. He goes straight home to his parents' house. His time is probably accounted for. That's what I'm getting at. Right. His time between, and it's a small window. It's not like these people, this crime happened sometime in the week of this. No, this crime happened sometime between, let's say, 10.30 p.m. And we believe the mom was killed at 5 a.m. the next morning. Right. So it's a small window. I believe his time was easily accounted for during the course of that time. And on top of the, this is going to seem kind of strange, but I'm going to say it anyway. Go for it. The birthday gift that he purchased for his girlfriend, uh-huh. you know, don't we all love that young love, right? That's, that's, that's great. Those, those high school romances that you have his yeah, birthday, watch where you're going with this, his birthday. Well, we were all, I was in high school once. when you were in high school. Yes. yes. <laughs> I, I high no school longer, ro- look, high school romances are okay. When you're in high school, I no longer participate in okay. high school romance. Very good. <laughs> um, but to I, me, I'm going to need you around Colonel. And, and I'm playing to the ladies now. Okay. Okay. Ladies. Hey, how you doing? Jeremy's birthday gift to his young girlfriend mm-hmm. seems to me to be well thought out that he didn't cut any corners on this birthday gift. And what I mean by that, what did we say it was? A, a silver chain with a heart-shaped pendant yeah. that also contained her birthstone. Let me tell you, men 
as a whole, sorry, men. Now I'm not right. now playing against the men. <laughs> sorry, men. Especially when men are 16, 17, 18 years old. We do not know what birthstone right. you have, depending on mo- what month you're. He, th- what I'm getting at is, cur- I think he he put in good effort. Right. He put put together a thoughtful gift that tells me that I think he truly cared for that young girl, mm-hmm. and that I think that because of such, he wouldn't do anything to harm her family or harm her. Yeah, but. If he really cared about her that much, maybe he would harm the family and help her cover it up. I don't know. But then, but then he stays in town. He doesn't leave with his, this this young girl that he's. Men have done some strange <laughs> things for ladies before. But you point out a good you, a good reason why I think that theory number two can be scratched off as well because, okay, if they have the had the assistance of a boy or boys or a couple of men or whatever, mm-hmm. where and who are these men and boys? You know, wouldn't they be reported missing at some point as well? Or you're living in a town of 600 people. Right, right. When two of them disappear. If there's another two missing, well. It's pretty obvious. Right. You know, so I think we can scratch off theories number one and number two. All right, Colonel. Way to scratch off some theories. I'm not the Colonel. I hold no rank anywhere. It's the Captain and the Colonel show. I'm Nick. We're, cha- we're changing the name of the show to the Captain, the Colonel, True Crime Garage. Anyways, thanks for listening. And uh, we're going to have to get to these theories. And there's some suspects that are going to come up in this next episode. Plus, we need to get your chair fixed because I'm tired of hearing your, your butt squeak. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for sharing on social media. And until next time, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.